the easy real estate investing money is gone unless you're fully prepared. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. You know what? I, almost in the beginning of the intro, I was—I I just actually heard a term just recently, and, and you know what? And the kids had to explain to me what it meant. You know, the term LFG. I was going to almost use the LFG tag at the end of the opening tease here for you. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that means. For if you're of my vintage, you may have to ask the youngins, the youngins, the, the hipsters, the young kids on the on the interwebs, on the social media channels. You may have to ask them what LFG means. And I had that. It's funny. I, I'd actually seen it on, a, I think it was a post on Tom Brady. And he said that. And I go, geez, I, I feel embarrassed. I don't know what LFG means. <laughs> and so, I, of course, I asked my kids and they they promptly told me exactly what LFG meant. So, so Russell you know, you're, all the people listening right now going, Russ, you just uh, wasted a minute of our time telling us about uh, that you don't know anything about social media and, and that you're so far behind the times you don't even know what LFG means. Now, if you don't know what it means, by all means, go check it out. All right, gang. Hope I got your attention on today's um, tease and opening to today's podcast. This is um, a fun episode. I had a great opportunity of joining... Um, um, Austin Ye and Mayu Thava on the Rise uh, Real Estate Investing Podcast. Um, wonderful podcast. I think there are over 200,000 downloads. I think I was the 100th episode. So I was very honored and grateful to have that 100th episode. And, and I believe Rise, I did check it out, Rise does stand for Real Estate Serving Everybody. I believe that's what it is. Real Estate Investing Serving Everybody, maybe. Real Estate serving everybody. I think that's what it means. So guys, hopefully Austin and May are listening to this uh, th- uh, podcast episode and they can, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But but gang, here, here's the thing. Um, get out there, spread your message, share your message with uh, a wider audience. Because I was working with some of my coaching clients just recently and we were putting together entire campaigns and strategies on how to distribute your message. It's about distribution. Usually you don't have enough eyeballs or in this case on a podcast, you don't have enough uh, earbuds that are hearing your message. So by all means, if you're interested in wanting to become um, known for something, if you're interested in growing and scaling your real estate portfolio, put it out there. Put it out there. Don't be scared, right? Uh, and And here's the thing is I'm recording this into a camera. And I'm telling this to myself because I have to remind myself is don't be scared, Russ. Come on, suck it up there. <laughs> Even though I've been doing this, I've honestly, I've done thousands of public presentations and I still get anxiety around um, putting my message out. I don't know. It's it's one of those things. It's just something that we have to get over with. Something that we just have to shoot the puck and just get over it. Okay, gang. Um, Got a couple things before we dive into this episode. Is so first and foremost, uh, Austin and Mayu, thank you very much for the opportunity to share on your wonderful podcast. Uh, we went deep into a couple things, but the main thing we I would really share that I did on this episode was I just shared some wisdom, shared some wisdom from almost twenty five years in the trenches, shared some wisdom about um, investors who have been through these pivoting market conditions, investors that have been through challenging times, investors that have been through up markets, down markets, flat markets, and everything in between. 
and I think I've said it many times on this podcast episodes, is that there's an awful lot of people that have been investing in real estate only for the last, say, five, six years. And they've only truly seen one type of uh, a market, straight up. And then if it was in the last two years, if you've just got started in the last two years, all you've seen is stratospheric growth upwards. You're not sure what it takes to be an investor long term. Okay, but now you have to actually work. You actually have to put in the time. You actually have to engage with your coaches. You have to engage with your community. You have to become um, more involved. And I, I actually had a presentation that I delivered at a live event just recently. And I, and I made the comment in that group as I said, guys, we should actually, there should be more people in this room now than there was, you know, when the market was going gangbusters. Most people do the opposite. Most people are really excited about the real estate when it's just on fire and everything's going straight up. And then they run and hide for the hills when things go down and things get a little bit choppy and the water gets a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit rough. Here's the thing. Now is the time when the waters are a little bit rough, when it's a little bit choppy out right now. Now is the time that you need to lean in to your community. Now is the time when you need to educate yourself. Now is the time when you need more support, not less support. Okay, gang? So that's one of the things I dove into this one is where I shared a lot of wisdom about this. We talked a lot about, you know, how to stand out in today's current marketplace. You know, when a whole bunch of people are doing the exact same thing, how do you get your message heard over and above everybody else? Obviously, you know, talking to the Rise Group, their investor group out of Ontario, they wanted to hear about Alberta, so I shared uh, some of my, my Cole's notes. Maybe I'm dating myself with that reference. Some of my summary of why I'm investing in Alberta. We talked a lot about the differences between amateurs and professionals in the game. Talked a lot about how to be a winner in this game of real estate long term. Okay, gang, so that's what we're going to dive into in this episode upcoming but before we dive into it, um, I wanted to just quickly share with you something. Speaking about being a winner and speaking about being on the right side of leaning into a group, leaning into a community, and setting yourself up for future success. Um, if any of you are on my email list, you've been getting emails over the past couple weeks uh, with sharing wonderful success stories. We had to limit it to four. I shared wonderful success stories of four investors over the past few years, and they're wonderful stories. So if you're not on my email list, I maybe encourage you to, to subscribe. Or if you just go to my website at russellwestcott.com, I posted those um, stories on my blog as well. So you can check them out there if need to as well. But what here I'm, I'm here to tell you is this episode is dropping on a Tuesday. It's dropping on Tuesday, September the 27th, if my math will be correct and the interwebs do their job. Um, I gave my email list first access to this opportunity, and I'm making it available only until Thursday of this week, so the 29th. So it is a fairly tight timeline. And if it is something that you are interested in, by all means, please jump in. Um, take me up on an incredible offer. This is the best offer I have made on my training program, my flagship training program that has trained thousands of people across this country. This is the opportunity, the best opportunity that you will have to get into it. So the doors are now open for the Raising Capital Academy, and I've put an incredible 
offer for you together. So I'm just going to do a couple quick highlights of it, if you don't mind me just taking a minute or so here. If you're interested in becoming a member of the Raising Capital Academy, you can instantly save $2,000 off today, instantly. You would be able to get a spouse or a significant other in for free. So that's another $2,000 savings there as well. You get full access to the community, full access to all my private documents, full access to all the resources that are there. The product, the, the community has always been a lifetime opportunity. So someone paid once, you invested once, and you got lifetime opportunity. Okay, as of the end of September, September the 29th to be exact, that price is going up. And it's now it's going to be a um, subscription based model. I'm actually thinking about maybe turning it into maybe like a, a lease to own or a rent to own type of model, have something fun with it. But it will no longer. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Lifetime access for one price is no longer available at the end of this month. Like I mentioned, you can bring a, a free spouse or a business partner. So, so think about that for a second. If you bring a spouse or a business partner or significant other, doesn't that sound like maybe a two-for-one offer? Maybe. You can bring two people in for one price. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how what you should do, but I would encourage you that's a great opportunity. And for the first, uh, let me just check my quick notes. There's there's only four available of this next uh, bonus. I'm offering two one-on-one coaching sessions with myself directly for four people. Um, there was seven. And that's now down to four. There's some quick people that snap those up as well. It's another huge benefit if you're interested in getting coaching one-on-one -on -one for myself. And then as well, there's eight more group coaching sessions that I'm, I'm adding to this as well on top of the 18 in the vault plus the 108 videos and plus the, is it 108 or is it 108 hours? I think it's 108 hours of videos and materials in there. Like it, it is, honest to goodness, you know, I'm sorry. I am 100% biased, full transparency. This is my baby. This is my community. This is my training program. And I built this training program around solving the biggest obstacles that you will face as a real estate investor. And that is, if you've been listening along, that's the TEAM acronym. That's time, education, attitude, mindset, and money. And then the lack of team as well. So that is what I poured my heart and soul into this community. It's not just a joint venture program. It's not just a uh, raising capital. I know I should probably change the name, but it is designed solely around busting through the biggest obstacles that you will face as a real estate investor. And that is what I wake up every single day to try to solve that for myself and share that with as many people as I possibly can. So that bonus package on top of everything else that you get as a member of the Raising Capital Academy is over $7,573. So this is the best opportunity that you can have to join this community. So if you're interested, there will be a link in the show notes below on this podcast. Um, I highly encourage you, if you're really interested in getting some one-on-one -on -one coaching, you snap it up as quick as possible. If there is any available, I have a feeling that coaching package uh, offer won't be available for probably a, you know, probably it'll only be available for another day or so. Because once I put out the next email, which will be tomorrow, I have a feeling those last few coaching spots will be gone, but you can still participate in everything else. There will be another eight group uh, masterminds that are coming out over Q4 of this year. And then here's the cool thing. Once you're a member, every time I add something new to the program, you get it. 
right? Every time I put on a live event, like before pre-COVID, I actually had live events, uh, three of them, and those were free for Raising Capital Academy members, okay? I put out a brand new training program about on um, RSP investing. That was for free for Raising Capital Academy members. Put out a brand new entire training modules and program on private money, free for Raising Capital Academy members, if you have the lifetime access. So gang, this is the best time. This offer will go away Thursday Midnight, September the 29th. So I encourage you, if you are listening to this, you might just want to pause, click the link, grab a spot, and then we'll just get going. Right on. LFG. (laughs) Okay. All right, gang, with all that being said, let's just cut right to this interview. Plus, I also have a wonderful um, tip coming in the middle from our good friends with Streetwise Mortgages, and we're going to talk about trigger rates in there as well. So this is a deep episode. By all means, leave your feedback and look forward to hearing from you. And for those select few, those of you that want to take it to the next level, those of you that are ready for more, I'll see you on the inside of the Raising Capital Academy. All right, let's get after it. Guest, the JV Jedi himself, Russell Westcott. Russell, how's everything going? Oh, gentlemen, gentlemen, it is a pleasure and an honor to serve and a pleasure to see you guys. Right? I've been, uh, awesome. I've been a, I've been a fan. I've been a fan from afar, and you guys are just crushing it. And you guys are just making a huge impact in the marketplace, both on the support, plus also building the the portfolio. 100 podcast episodes coming up right away. Top 30 in Canada. Holy moly. I, I, I should be sitting there going with, I should be your guys' hype machine here with you. <laughs> now you guys, so it's coming, it's coming from the heart. You guys are doing an amazing job. And this is coming from somebody with 20, 20, geez, 22 years experience in the marketplace. I've seen an awful lot of flash in the pans and you guys got the chops to make it long-term. So congratulations. Oh, thank Perfect. you so much. We must be doing something right if we're getting this compliment from you. We should just no? we should no? just let Russell do our intros. Now there you go. There but you just go. just clip that just clip that little segment out and say Russell Westcott says, right? <laughs> awesome. So for, for any of our listeners that might not know you, Russell, um, why don't you give everyone a quick background on yourself? Love to hear how you got started in the real estate space um, and, and just what you're what you're up to today. Well, obviously, if you're watching the video, you can tell that I'm 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 tall and and uh, dark complexion and a full head of hair and and I've got every silver spoon ever given to me in this world and and I'm I'm a trust fund baby and I, I should be going into Canadian politics or something. Uh, but so that's a wrap. We, we just yeah. call it, we just stop the podcast there. Right there. Right? <laughs> but the reality is, is uh, you know what? I, I'm just. Um, I'm a simple guy from from small town Saskatchewan originally. I live out on the coast of of British Columbia right now. I I live in a a suburb of Vancouver. Um, It's no different. The market out here is very similar to the guys, the market that you guys are in as well. Um, I made a decision a while ago to invest my capital outside of this market because it just didn't make sense to me. I'm a, I'm a, an author, I'm a podcaster, I'm a YouTuber, and if you ask my wealth, my wife, I'm a hell of a good guy. <laughs> you wrote the book on real estate joint ventures, right? Yeah, that so, and yeah. I co-authored a book called 97 Tips for Canadian Real Estate Investors, and I also co-authored the book on, on raising capital through joint venture partnerships as well. 
Well, I wonder what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about hockey. We're going to talk about the weather, and we're going to talk about uh, about politics. Is that what? Right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, we're not going to so talk about you- interest rates, and we're not going to talk about building a portfolio. We're not going to talk any of those things, right? Mm-mm. For sure, not important. So, so Russell, how how did you get started in this space? Like, what 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 brought you into the real estate space? Uh, did you grow up like always in it, like fascinated by it or anything, or? Okay. What really got you started off in it? Well, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to tell you a very, fairly cliche story that probably 95% of the people on your podcast have probably told a very similar story. However, mine's a little different. There is a little book out there that I would bet 90% of your guests and people listening to this probably read this book a while ago. It's, a, it's purple in color, and it's got black, and it's got a, a rich something... Pour, you know, pour something in it, and and uh, and and my story started uh, right around the turn of the century. So it's a funny way of saying. Hang on a second here, by the way. Oh. <laughs> so I, I come with my own sound effects, by the way. <laughs> so I, I really started. It was right around year two thousand. I I had one of those midlife crises. Um, I I had one of those birthdays that that ended with a zero in it. And um, I turned 30 in the year 2000 and I had a good job. I had, you know, was all the makings of success, success, successful career, had a fast car, had an SVT Cobra convertible, you know, flying down the road, wind flipping through my fingertips, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and But here's the thing is uh, I was maybe going fast, but the, the ladder was leaned up against the wrong wall. And uh, at that time, I was renting a basement suite with a roommate, and I was feeling a little disillusioned at age 30 that I just really hadn't made much of myself up to that time. And where does any young man go in their 30s to get advice from the sage wisdom of Oprah? So I watched an episode of Oprah, and Robert Kiyosaki was on that on that program, and he talked about this thing called uh, passive income, the cash flow quadrants, rich dad, poor dad, read that book, devoured it, played the games, went to the meetings, went to the conferences, and slowly once I made the decision I was going to get into real estate, which resonated for me. Now remember, I also grew up in a trailer park where I grew up in small town Saskatchewan. I was renting a basement suite. I had never bought a property in my life. I had no rights to get into real estate, but something just really clicked for me with real estate. I dove in with both feet. There was a a time of year for like five years. I was buying a property a month for five years plus. You know, fast forward now, you know, 20 some odd years later, um, authoring, I've authored books. I've helped coach people. I inspire others. I keep building my portfolio. I'm in a process now of starting to pay off some of those properties and snowballing them off. Um, and, and the main thing I'm doing right now on, on top of the portfolio I'm building, because I see there's an incredible opportunity ahead for us right now, is I'm pouring into others. I'm pouring into my 30-year-old self that I was way back in 2000. So I'm pouring all my time and energy and wisdom into helping others. And that's how I get my significance is not if I build a large portfolio or I close another deal or my Facebook post, look at me, look at me. I just bought another 275 units and stuff like that. My significance I get is by helping my clients bust through limitations and helping them move forward. So that's kind of a, a, a long way, I guess, of saying um, of what, what I'm doing and what I'm all about. And we can go any direction from here if you like. 
Yeah, that that's amazing. A property a month is uh, no small fee. It seems like it's, it went full circle. So you started off young and hungry, grew your portfolio. You're at the point in life where adding numbers doesn't matter anymore. So now you're you're if correct me if I'm wrong, you're the money partner in in some of your deals that you're you're well, buying new properties for, right? Yes and no. In in two respects. So, so I'm going to I am going to reframe this. I'm not I'm not correcting you. I'm actually enhancing what you said. I know it sounds really in it sounds really cool a property a month for 5 years. Doesn't that sound really cool? Um, if, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> if we were sitting over a beer right now, I would tell you that was the stupidest thing I could have ever done. I grew way too fast. I grew way too quick. I bought a whole bunch of garbage properties in garbage areas that were marginal at best. And I was doing it based upon ego to just stand up in front of people and brag and say, I look at all the action I'm taking. So it was the wrong intention right from the beginning. It was the stupidest thing. I'm still paying for some of those properties today of, of that. Okay. Now, what I'm doing now is not, I, I'm in some cases I am contributing capital, but what I'm actually doing is I'm contributing my Rolodex. I'm contributing my connections. I'm contributing my ability to get onto a podcast, onto a YouTube, to have a global reach, to reach a, a global audience of people. And I'm attracting investors to bring in, to bring to good operators of projects. And then I get a piece of the pie from there. You know, it's just another way of saying it's a business within the business if you learn how to raise capital, you can learn to raise it from other people to then place it with good operators. And then you take right. a piece of the pie and have an ownership position there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, cause I think, I, I know you said, you know, the early stages and maybe your growth was not the best uh, rate of growth to be sustainable or something like that as well. Right. But that was an era where this like, I think myself and Austin are privileged in, in right now, everyone loves real estate. It's kind of the sexy word on the street, right? Um, you can raise capital a little bit easier capitals everywhere right now, right? Um, so so it, it wasn't the same challenge, right? For sure. And I'm curious, you know, how you went about raising capital back then, because I think a lot of like history is the best indicator, right? And it's the best lesson. And I think a lot of the same systems that you did back then are a lot of systems that people can do now and should be doing now, even though we have social. Yeah, social I, I believe it's actually coming back more so to, um, to the personal connection again. Um, the day, in my personal opinion, the days of just never ever seeing the person you're going to be investing with is is dangerous and over. Um, you need to have a personal connection with that person. You need to be able to go and break bread. You need to have. I'll give you an example. One of my joint venture partners, and this was pre-social media world. Uh, we met literally for like a year. Every Sunday, we'd meet and talk and go through things to the point where my wife and I earned a picture on the family wall. You know, when you go into everybody's house, they have a family mm. wall, like the kids and stuff like that. Kareen and I earned a picture on the family wall, right? And I what think- an achievement. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're going to get back to that 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 thing again. And, and quick quick side story. Here, I was just at a networking event this past weekend and, and I'm, I'm very- um, introverted to like, to, this is difficult. This is something I have to really prep myself and get up for. I'm not a very extroverted person to be able to do this. Now, some people are saying, Russ, I don't believe you. You've done 1,200 public stage presentations. You've presented in front of 1,500 plus people. But trust me when I say I'm extremely introverted. So the story was, I was at this networking event this past weekend, and I was so awkward. I, I like... An, ext an introvert 
having two years of non-practice of, of networking with real life human beings, I'm standing there in this room and I'm going, oh, I had to force myself to put on the, the networking cape to go out and talk to people because I felt so awkward and just so out of practice. And I just, it was just one of those things I just need to exercise those muscles again. And I think that's going to happen uh, across this country as we start getting out in real life again, meeting people again. It's going to be those people that have the real-life human connection and the relationship that will prosper going forward. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so true. Me and Austin talk about it quite a bit where we go to networking events and every time before you walk in that door, you're probably like five minutes away from the networking place and you're like, ah, shit, like, why am I going here? Do I really have to go here? I really don't want to do this, right? And then you go in and like an hour into your conversation, you're like, ah, this is pretty dope, right? But it's kind of that lead up into it, right? So I guess early on, a lot of your JV partners were personal connections and individuals that you knew within your existing network. Um, And I guess, how have you seen things change? Because you you coach a lot of people on raising capital, which I think a lot of our guests are very into as well and and curious about as well. Um, And I know we briefly touched on this, but how do you see the raising capital changing uh, the, the world? How has it changed yep. recently since you did it and so on? Well, here, here's the thing is um, the platforms have maybe have shifted. The mechanics are very similar. Okay. Or, or maybe another way of saying is the fundamentals are the same. The fundamentals are that you develop yourself. You develop as a, an amazing person. You show up with a lot of passion, enthusiasm. You show up with a lot of energy. You show up as an expert in something. And you do, pardon my, I'm going to, are we okay to swear on your show, guys? For sure, we you know, do all we do, we do epic <laughs> shit, right? You, you do big shit, right? You, you, you take action. You don't just talk about it. You actually do it, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting there saying that you have to buy hundreds of properties off of that. You could just sit there and go to all the conferences, meet all the people, connect with it, do your own podcast, learn this stuff, right? That, and that's doing epic stuff, epic shit, okay? So you, you do it, and then you document the journey, and you tell others about the path you're on, the journey you're taking, the connections you're making, the things you're learning, and most importantly, out of all of those things, is you become a solution provider to help others prosper alongside you, okay? You're taking the time to develop a skill set. You're taking the time to connect with the right people, and you're being a solution provider to people that are not taking those actions. Now, I'll give you a real-life example, and I'll go back to an early story. Early story, one of my original first joint venture partners. Now, here's, and I'll give you the context. Remember, basement suite renter, never bought a property in my life, and I'm here to talk to a guy that bought three properties in his life. We worked together. We did a lot of hiking together, and during those long four-hour hikes, we would sit there and we'd have lots of life conversations, and I was just kept telling him about, I was flying off to Edmonton. I met with this person. I met with this team member. I met with this mortgage broker. I'm analyzing properties. I analyzed this one, this one, this one, this one. I hadn't bought anything yet. And I never portrayed that I did. And I just kept sharing with him all the stuff I was doing and the properties I'm doing. And holy moly, look at this. Look at this fundamental. Look at this stat. Look at this information. And I just kept sharing it with this person just on our long hikes. Eventually, after a season or two of the of hikes, he eventually said, Russ, why don't we just partner up and do a deal together? And I just said, awesome. And later, after the fact, I asked him the question. I go, you do know I've never transacted a property. 
why did you why did you want to agree to invest with me? And he goes, he goes, Russ, I invested with you because of the energy you brought to the table. I invested with you that you were willing to do the work. I invested with you that you were willing to do whatever it takes ethically and legally to make this work and not and not have it as a loser property. I invested in you. And that's what he said. And everybody who's listening to this and everybody who's watching this can do exactly what I just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like even if you look at Shark Tank, for example, um, Kevin O'Leary and all of the other sharks always say, look, the business idea, whether it's good or bad, oh, not if it's bad, but even if it's an average business idea, they invest in the entrepreneur, right? The energy, the passion, dedication they have to their craft. Um, So... Kind of expanding on that. So one of the things that you mentioned was to document your journey along the way. And that's definitely how I got started as well. I've noticed that a lot of investors are doing the same. So now it's kind of, it appears at least from the outside in, kind of a crowded marketplace of everyone wanting to raise capital, everyone documenting their journey, everyone posting the similar or same sort of content. How do you stand out? in this current market environment uh, when trying to raise capital and promote yourself? Yeah, great, great question. So so a couple things is, number one, your journey, or actually there might be three things I'm going to talk about. Number one is your journey is your journey and nobody else is on the same journey. So there is nobody else doing the same journey as you're on. So you are completely unique in your journey of what you share. Okay. Number two is it comes down to what I believe is the intention that you have behind it. Okay, the intention you have behind it is some people are sitting there with the intention of sharing their journey of with the thing of just doing it on a not an underhanded way, but not on a a genuine, authentic way to raise money from other people, right? And some people are actually doing this, sharing their journey, and they've only maybe done one or two properties, and now they're starting to pontificate, and they're starting to teach people, and they're starting to go, you know, I've done a flip, but now I know everything about it. I'm hosting my own meetups, and I'm going to teach everybody about what I know about flipping, and and geez, you've done one, right? Or two, That's, that's number two. Number three of what I teach people to do and what I share with people is document your journey from a standpoint of the good, the bad, the ugly, the authentic, what you're learning, what actions you're taking for you to do that epic shit, okay? What actions you're taking and on how you're connecting the dots. Not that you're teaching everybody or pontificating, you're just sharing what you've learned, what's worked for you, the landmines you've stepped on, the the dog poo that you, you know, you stepped on at the same time, the mistakes that you've made, and then just authentically share with the intention to inspire others with no gain whatsoever. Hmm. So there's three levels there. Yeah, so it sounds like you're the the last one is really providing value with no real ask, right? And the first one it's on or Maybe it was the second one there, but it sounded like the first two were really just documenting your journey, sharing what you know. And and I guess just trying to like, you're, you're, you're ultimately saying be yep. personable, right? Be yeah. approachable. Um, and I think something that you touched on earlier, which was just the concept of doing epic shit, right? Which really just means it is whatever is epic for you, right? And I think a lot of people struggle with not having content to share on social media, which you won't have if you're not doing anything. Yeah. Right, because because I, I tell some people that I talk to as well. Like, if you're at a networking event, you're here. Just share it. Right? Yeah, and and um, the simplest so. is um, just share conversations you had. Like, I honestly, we could take an entire podcast of just this week alone, and we're only recording this on a Tuesday. <laughs> 
of the conversations right. I've had with people about how I've helped people get unstuck with just different things. And we can just have conversations about that. Just sharing how you've helped others, sharing things that you've learned yourself, and just sharing the things you're thinking about at the same time. I'm, I'm not asking for any capital from anybody. I'm sharing knowledge, mm-hmm. I'm sharing information, and I'm sharing inspiration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, a lot of people get it with the intention of obviously raising capital. And so they can be impatient. They're not in it for the long haul. So I see a lot of people post consistently for three months, but sometimes it's an eight month, one year process till you build that trust with someone and then tell someone wants to invest with you. Um, kind of moving on from that. I wanted to yeah, hear my, your my longest, on- my longest cycle was four years with one person four years from start from first connection wow. who's somebody who I knew and over time, over time, they just kept, they weren't ready. They weren't ready. They kept looking in, they kept connecting, kept look, looking in. And then eventually it was four years later than they, when they, when they pulled the trigger. Do you have like a database of people that you contact uh, like kind of as leads and then you'll follow up every, every couple of months with them or a year or so? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I wanna, so, so we're going to get really deep into the weeds here. Are you guys okay if I over deliver today? what a a terrible what a terrible question no russell please hide all the information hold it all back no um you're saying you 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 nurtured a relationship for four years and i'm sitting here going sometimes i can't even get back to people within like a day to like my text messages i'm wondering how the hell you did that well you just never know there's a lot of people looking in all the time right you just never know even though they might not be engaging or responding they just keep looking in and they just want to make sure that you've got the chops maybe they want to make sure that you've not made you've made the mistakes right they want to make sure that you know and and most most times it's just they're not ready yet they're so you just nurture them so so to succinctly answer your question i i often look at the difference between an amateur and a professional in the realm of capital raising is somebody who has a database and somebody who does not have a database of names, okay? Now, my database of people on my email list is an asset to me. No different than 123 45th Avenue in downtown my house. It is an asset to me, the connections that I have with the people. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't treat them like, you know, I don't abuse it. I provide good value. I provide weekly, uh, more than more than weekly, I provide a podcast on Tuesday and a YouTube video on Thursday. I provide minimum two free content pieces to my email list every single week, okay? Now, and my goal is, and that's actually my goal that I have is to grow that database because if I know that I'm helping more people, the more people I help, the more problems I solve, the more problems I solve, the greater the opportunity that I can build wealth to share with others, to hire more people, to buy more properties, to do things like that. So my goal is that I have a metric on growing the database. That's as much of a metric that I measure as how many properties and how many offers I rate. Yeah, I think that's actually very interesting. You, uh, I'm thinking about it from a wholesaling perspective, uh, from our wholesaling business. One of our metrics is is to track the people on our buyers list, our, our email list, right? Because the bigger you grow that, um, the more likely someone's going to convert over into an opportunity um, to do business with in the future, yep. right? So it's no different from the JV business side of things, adding value, staying in touch and growing a larger 
email list. It just makes it also easier to stay in touch yep. with people to have them like actually register on your email list uh, consensually. Because yep. um, that means they're actually taking a look at your content, right? Yep. Like they actually engage with your content. Yeah, I often um, look at that. I'm in. I'm really in the people supporting business. Is really what yeah. I am. Is I support people with their goals and dreams and aspirations of what they want to accomplish, and I will provide solutions to that group of people that there be a way that I can participate in them winning. Not that it's I win, mm-hmm. they lose, vice versa, or they win, I lose. It's that I participate in them winning. And people are very yeah. happy if they're winning and you par- and they're happy with somebody that's going to participate alongside them. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, Russell, along this journey, like you, you've done the raising capital for it sounds like some of the smaller deals, like maybe like single family, duplex, triplex, fourplex. You're also raising capital for apartment buildings. Um, I guess, did you find there was a significant shift in the type of investor or the type of partner that was acting on these deals? Or is it kind of the people that you started off with earlier, naturally, as they get more capital, they will naturally evolve into this bigger asset class. Like, how did you kind of do that switch? Literally, it it comes down to as that's just part of the qualification conversations that I have with people. Like, and so for example, let me just walk you through a little bit of the flow here. So flow would be is I would put out a podcast, I put out a YouTube, I put out social media posts, I put out just lots of posts of, of, of being in the business of real estate. And that's lead gen, right? So you attract to somebody to raise their hand and say, okay, I'm interested. They maybe will come to your website after listening to something and then maybe fill out a form and then they answer a handful of questions. And I give them a consultation about how I can help them. I'll give them 45 minutes of a consultation. And then at the end of that, I know pretty quickly if they want to do it themselves, if they want to uh, work, you know, if they want to align with somebody or if they want it done for them. Do it yourself, done with you, done for you is the three models I put. Do it yourself, done with you, done for you, okay? And then during that conversation, I'll have a conversation with them about the capital available. Are they able to qualify for financing? What kind of cash flow do they, are they looking for? What is their goals? Things like that. And then from that initial conversation I have with people, I can assess quite quickly like a doctor would. Do they need coaching, help, and support? Do they need an opportunity presented to them? Or do they need an opportunity done for them? Okay. And then I will put them down that path to help them move forward. Well, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a very smart way to go about it. I assume that you offer services in each, uh, each one of those buckets as well. Well, that, that would, I would be a bad service provider, a bad helper of people if I did not. Yeah. So, so the answer is Uh, yes, obviously. Yes, I do. I I think quite a bit of the, like the horror stories that come out of JVs, like, individual said they were down and then they pulled out last minute or um, I don't know, like just like the people that struggle with raising JVs and stuff like that, I'd assume it's therefore as a result of not properly qualifying the individual. Yep. Um, I know some people will use individuals that are pulling funds from a line of credit who are going to be like very desperate for that money versus if you're raising funds from someone where maybe 100K is not yep. a make all break all, right? Well, um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of real examples. Um, here, I'll just give you one to keep it in, keep it tight. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to jump over you there for a second, but I want to deepen oh, uh, deepen that point. Um, it comes down to is do you have the best interest in, in heart for your your partner that you're raising the capital for? Okay, and I tell people right from the beginning always is that you potentially can do all this on your own. You can, right? But however, you're going to make lots of mistakes. I've done all this. I've I can help shortcut the curve. I can get you in a better property. I can buy better. I get a better selection all kinds of different things, and we won't go down that road. 
But here's the the example. So I was working with this person out of Toronto, and we were going down the road of uh, they were committed. They wanted to get involved into a, a joint venture. I found them a, a really beautiful garage suite property, actually two of them, which is very, very difficult to find in my market. Garage suite is like coach homes out where you guys are. Um, very difficult. So I tapped my best sources, got an incredible opportunity, put the presentation together and presented it. We were walking through and I just, there was a sense of just some resistance at the very end, like at the very end, just a resistance. And I just said, what's, what's, what's going on? Talk to me. And they go, you know, I think we can do this ourselves. And I said, I think you can too. So if I was didn't have their best interest in heart, my conversation would have been, okay, well, good luck, you know, go see if you can find that. But what I did at that time was I said, would you like to close on these properties that I found myself? Would you like to close on these yourself? And they go, what do you mean? I go, I'll, I'll give them to you. I'll turn them over to you. And so I turned them over to them. I made a little, like a, you know, a couple thousand bucks for my time and stuff like that. I didn't make as much as if I would have owned it for for, 50, for mm-hmm. 10 years. But right. my intention was to do what was right for them. And they said they could do it themselves. So I literally gift wrapped them up two properties. And from my understanding, I think those of those properties are probably up about a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars each. That is walking the walking the talk, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's all about doing the right thing. A lot of uh, people are short-minded, right? Like whatever pays them today, they're going to take that route. And that's not ultimately how you build a business in the long term. Yep. Um, I, I kind of want to get into raising capital in the current environment, given interest rate hikes, given the uncertainty, uh, all of the chatter that's going on and negative sentiment. Have you found it to be more difficult to raise capital? And if not necessarily, like at least how are the conversations going with investors? Are they asking more questions about market conditions? Could you walk us through that? Well, yes and no. So well, how's that for a politician's answer? Um, it, it is 100, it, it 100% more difficult, which is good. However, you also have some more time to fully vet people. There's not, there's not that <laughs> puppy dog breath that we got to buy something today or else we're going to explode type of thing or else we're just going to, a bomb will drop, right? Right, so. Right. <laughs> what? Had that ready. <laughs> you had that ready. Uh, wow. Sorry, wow. or I could just bring the fire if you're interested as well, right? We got lots of fire going on here too, so. Anyways. Oh man, we got to step our Zoom game up. <laughs> so, so you have some time to really develop that that um, that relationship. Okay. Now, I I believe that the traditional way, it, it I say traditional way, is most people's expectations of real estate have got completely out of whack over the last three to five years. Completely out of whack. When I have conversations with people and they tell me that they just bought a property six months ago in Windsor and holy moly, how come it's not up $100,000 six months later? I go, well, what did you do? Nothing. I just bought it, right? Real estate Mm. should not go up hundreds of thousands of dollars in months. It should not. You actually have to work at it. You actually have to find it. You have to actually own it. And you actually have to hold it with some tenants in it over a course of time. And in 5, 10, 15 years, you should be able to be cashing in hundreds of thousands of dollars of check. That's a normal. So the the days of uh, easy, easy, easy money, in my opinion, are behind us. And now you actually have to work at it. So I believe that us professional real estate experts that have a system will actually be more of a commodity. 
Okay. For example, I'll give you one example. This is just something I'm building out right now because of interest rates have gone up. Okay. Interest rates have risen. There's a group of people that maybe a year ago pre-qualified for a property at one and a half, two percent that pre, that pre were pre-buying a house. This year, with new interest rates, new qualification, the new stress test is like six percent. They're not able to qualify at 6% interest rates. So there's people walking away from contracts out there right now. So I am compiling some investment capital, some investors to come in and buy those properties for those people that were walking away. And we're going to do a rent to own for two to three years with them. Myself and my capital partners will be the banks for these people that a year ago were qualified and maybe they just need two, three more years to qualify again. I have my realtor going out and finding properties. I have, uh, you know, sourcing out those people that just couldn't qualify today, but they're close. Now think about it. A year ago, they were qualified. They probably had access to down payment, right? They probably were able to qualify for a certain amount of payment, but just now the interest rates have gone up so high so now what we do is we give them two or three years on a rent-to-own agreement to build out the down payment to be able to afford it, right? And then we own the property, the investor owns the property, and I'm in the middle connecting the property to the tenant buyer, connecting the investor to the tenant buyer, and I have I just pull the, the orchestra together and just make sure everybody's singing on the same song sheet. It's a pretty creative way to go about. And that's just margin. one way. There's <laughs> multiple ways of just doing that's yeah. just one current thing that I'm doing. There's other things I'm doing down in Texas with a business partner. We're doing furnished suites where he's getting like $6,200 rent on his furnished properties on, you know, $600,000 townhomes in Texas. Or because the prices have come down so much, there's a partner of mine out in Ontario who's buying a, uh, it's either Kitchener, I think it's Kitchener, either Kitchener or Cambridge. I think it's Kitchener. He's buying an apartment builder in Kitchener and the prices have calmed down so much and he's buying it so under-rented that there's a huge margin there as well. So there's there's incredible opportunities that are surfacing. So, so I think we spent a, a significant amount of time today talking about raising capital. One thing that we never really got into is, as, as you were saying right now, You've got businesses and properties in, in multiple areas. And early on in the podcast, you already started off with saying you don't really invest in your backyard, but you're really taking this to scale. Like me and Austin say we don't invest in our backyard and we're doing like Windsor, Sudbury, like, you know, like three, four hours where if we're really uncomfortable, we can drive out there and do it. But how do you go about a formulating the relationships that allow you to like to do that wide variety of like scale? And how are you like, do you raise partners that want to invest in certain geographies? Like, how do you go yep. bring that back into the raising capital side? Oh, brilliant, brilliant question. So, so just for clarification, I, it seems like when I was talking about different areas, I, I'm just starting to branch out. I, I'm still 100% of my personal assets that I own. Our family assets are in Alberta and in Edmonton, and I'm building out that portfolio even bigger. Remember that conversation I said about helping people? When people come to me, I will 100% recommend they should invest in Alberta because the fundamentals, we could go and do an entire podcast on why, and I've done dozens of them on that as well. But some people just, for whatever reason, don't like Alberta, okay? Some people like the U.S. 
Some people like Ontario, and that's all good. Everybody likes their area for their own reasons. So I just started aligning with people that are what I would consider some of the best business operators in those areas that have what I'm a fan of their projects they put together. And then I just attach the capital to their projects because most people that are really good business operators are maybe not good at raising of the capital. And most people that are raising the capital are experts are terrible business operators. Okay, so what I'm just doing is I'm just um, I find the operator that I am a fan of their projects. And then what I do is I just funnel people looking for that have capital, looking for good opportunities with good, trustable, reliable operators. So I, I if, if I had to go and be the operator in Texas and the operator in Kitchener, I would not be able to do it. I just can't. Because um, right. I would not put my investment capital at risk because I'm not an expert in those areas at the moment. So what I do is I find people I'm a fan of, fan of their business model, a fan of what they're doing, fan of their track record. And then that's where I place the capital like that. I sure hope you're enjoying this conversation with Austin and Mayu. We'll be right back after a quick message from our good friends at Streetwise Mortgages. Dahlia Barsoom is back to talk about trigger rates, paying attention to that dreaded trigger rate. Take it away, Dahlia. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. If you are in a variable rate mortgage product today where the payment has been fixed and stable during the rising rates environment that we've been experiencing, then you need to pay at close attention to something called the trigger rate. While you will find the term trigger rate in the credit agreement you signed with your lender at the time you arranged the mortgage, most probably this credit agreement is sitting in a drawer or on a shelf somewhere collecting dust. Right now, this term trigger rate is coming into the spotlight for a reason. It's because we've just come out of historically low interest rates, and the Bank of Canada has been increasing the overnight rate, which drives prime rates at a very fast pace. In fact, a pace that is faster than anyone expected. What happens with variable rate products is that the payment stays fixed. And when the rates rise, the payment is protected. But the allocation of what goes towards interest versus principal beneath the surface changes. Until, and here is the key point, until that payment no longer covers the principal pay down. Let's take a look at an example. Let's say you took a $500,000 mortgage in January of 2022 at prime minus one. Very, very nice discount. When Prime at the time was at 2.45, your payment would have been 1713 roughly. And about $600 of that payment would have gone towards paying down interest and 1100 roughly would have gone towards paying down principal. Then the Bank of Canada raised the overnight rates in March of 2022 and Prime rose to 2.7 from 2.45, then to 3.7, then to 4.7, then to 5.45, 
as of September 2022. Let's take a look at what happens. What happens to the payment of 1713? Well, it stayed the same, which was amazing for protecting your cash flow during these times. But looking beneath the surface, in July of 2022, when Prime was at 4.7, the interest payment would have gone up to 1541 and only $172 would have gone towards paying down the principal. Then in September 2022, Prime went up again to 5.45. And again, the payment has stayed the same, but now 1854 of that payment is going towards interest and none is going towards paying down principal. So now we owe money to the bank and that is your trigger point. The trigger point differs from one client to another, depending on when the client took their variable rate mortgage, if they have taken it at the lowest point where when prime rates were low in March 2020, the discount to prime that they've arranged with their bank, was it prime minus one? Was it prime minus 50? Was it prime minus something else? And if they had made any payments towards principal above and beyond the fixed payment stated in the mortgage agreement. The best way to figure out your trigger point is um, is to basically go back to the credit agreement. That number will be there for you, but to also keep an eye on your online mortgage statement to see how much of your payment is going towards principal currently versus interest. By now, you may have hit that point, especially in September, as the rates have increased further. And by now, you may have received notification from the bank. If not, you are paying, um, if, if, if you haven't received that notification from the bank, then, and, and you are currently paying very little principal right now, then you will hit that point during the next rate increase that is scheduled for October the 26th. So, what happens? What happens when you hit this trigger point? Well, the bank will ask you to do one of three things. Number one, make a lump sum payment against the loan amount to bring down the balance owing or convert to a new fixed rate. I do not recommend taking anything about above a one or a two years fixed term right now, because if you were to lock into a five years fixed, you are going to lock into a rate at the height of the cycle. Number three, increase the mortgage payment to pay off the outstanding principal balance within the remaining amortization of the original mortgage. So if you have not received a letter from the bank yet, be proactive. Reach out to your bank so you can plan ahead which option to consider. And if you want your payment going forward to adjust as the rates increase so you can pay down the principal based on your original plans instead of having to come up with lump sums or lock into a fixed rate mortgage that you don't really want to lock into, or if this new payment, adjusted payment, is higher than what you can afford or would like it to be, then you may want to consider what's called an adjustable 
variable rate mortgage. Because with such a product, your payment changes as the rates change. Myself and my team can help you explore that option. What happens if you choose to do nothing? If you choose to do nothing with this trigger rate and the payments continue to fall short for covering principal to the point where the outstanding interest and principal exceed the original principal amount, then something called the trigger point kicks in. And that is the point at which the bank would call you and recall the mortgage. Hopefully, no one would get to that point because we are all informed investors. We are proactive and we will make the right decision. If you have reached or close to reaching your trigger point or you are in a variable rate product and you are concerned about the next Bank of Canada rate increase that is very likely to happen on October the 27th of 2022, myself and my team would be happy to help you explore your options and guide you through, given, of course, your financial situation because every situation is different. Feel free to reach out to us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. It's like the who, not how business model. Oh, right? you're, finding, you're finding your who. <laughs> I love that book. That was a game changer for me, Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's great. I, I think, Russell, the one thing that we also, and I keep saying this, but the one thing that we also never talked about in the podcast, I guess, is Alberta. Um, given that's kind of the area that you're definitely a market expert in. Alberta, I guess, is a market from my understanding uh, it was stagnant for a long time, right? And I think a lot of a lot of people saw opportunity in that, uh, especially as oil and gas prices were increasing, right? And the rest of the world seemed to be getting into this big bubble territory. Alberta was kind of just uh, increasing a little bit, it seemed like, right? Uh, so what's your current opinion on the current Alberta market? And then I also want to specifically touch on the oil and gas risk in Alberta uh, and how we're at all-time prices, all-time highs right now in oil and gas. Do you see additional exposure to the Alberta market? All right. Well, there's a there's a long conversation of itself, but but I'll try my best to to, to cut to the chase here with a few things. Um, so number one is um, Alberta's real estate market saw a extremely rapid rise. I'll just go back in time and then we'll talk about today. Saw an extremely okay. rapid rise in the marketplace from like 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007. Like honest to goodness. It was the exact same thing I was seeing happening in Ontario. People were walking into networking events saying, geez, I'm making $1,000 a day <laughs> for not doing anything and, uh, you know, and stuff like that. I was seeing that greed just really kick in. And I, I bought 40, 40 places at a peak of a marketplace in Alberta, like 2007, 2008, 4 um, Arguably speaking... That property is, I cannot sell it for what I paid for it 15 years ago, right? Especially once I oh. factor in commissions and fees and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's actually less value than I saw there. So that's why I'm very mindful of people that were buying in BC and in Ontario the last couple of years. I'm on public record of telling a lot of my clients to start divesting of your dog properties in Ontario and British Columbia in February 2021 is when I started advising my clients to start doing that. Okay. Um, now, where it's going to go from here, I don't know. I can't, I can't answer that. But I'm just telling you my perspective of what I went through. I saw 15 years of 
up a little bit, down a little bit, but mostly in 15 years, it was flat, if not down. Over the past two years in Alberta, that tide has now shifted to the point that there's an old saying is sometimes the fix for low prices is low prices. Alberta is now the most affordable marketplace in the country. People are earning the most amount of money. The economic GDP, just put it this way, if it wasn't for our energy sector in this country, we guarantee would be in a recession right now. Guaranteed. The only thing keeping this country afloat and keeping it above on a growth trajectory right now is Canadian energy. And another conversation is I don't think we're even doing enough to completely optimize that opportunity. That's another podcast. Okay. So I'm seeing people moving in. I'm seeing economic activity. I'm seeing the people that are working there are earning more money. The people that are working there are are keeping more money. They have the lowest taxes. Not only that, the government just announced a, I might get the number wrong, but I'm going to be pretty close. You know, I think it was almost a 14, was it $14 billion budget surplus over the past year on their on their on their provincial budget. So much so that they just re-indexed all of the of the index of the incomes. So most Albertans are now actually going to pay less in taxes across the board. So if you don't have PST and people earn more money, they have more money in their pocket, they're paying less out the door on housing costs. Um, there has a greater opportunity for people to pay more in rent, greater opportunity for housing prices to go up, and there's a greater opportunity for that market to start its next run in, in, in prices. Now, that's my prediction, and that's what I'm doing, and I'm putting a lot of our family capital, I'm putting my investment capital, my partner capital, we're going gung-ho into a lot of projects in the Alberta marketplace right now. Wow, that was a that was a really good rundown, and, and for sure we're gonna have to have you back. Well, and, future. and I'll give you one more stat if you're interested in one more stat. Yeah. Okay, and and I'll, I'm gonna frame. I'm gonna give a framework. So for people going, I hate Alberta, a bunch of rednecks, and I, I, okay, no problem. Here's here's the teaching point I want to give you. Here's the framework I want you to look at. So if we if I had a a slide, you know, are you guys familiar with a Venn diagram, right? So three <laughs> bubbles of a Venn diagram. Here's one bubble. Here's another bubble, and the other bubble down here. Okay. So the three bubbles of the Venn diagram, I think it's called a Venn diagram, or where you have the three yeah. circles. And yeah, you want yeah, the, Venn yes. diagram. Okay. Yeah. You want economic activity, you want people, and you want market, real estate market. So the economic activity, is there GDP growth? Is there capital coming in? Are there projects? Is there roads? Is there construction? Is there, you know, is it attracting business? I don't know if you guys are getting the ads out in Ontario, but in British Columbia, the Alberta government is aggressively marketing people to move to Alberta. Aggressively. Okay, so that's economic activity. Then people. People, are they moving in? Are they moving out? And if they're moving in, are they working? Unemployment going down? Are people earning more income? Are they keeping more? Now, here's a quick stat in Alberta. is based upon their projections of, of uh, population. Alberta is forecasted to uh, double its population. Sorry, it's going to add about 1.4 million more people in Edmonton. It's almost going to double its population over the next 20 years to be the third most populous province in the country, surpassing British Columbia. So it'll be Ontario, Quebec, and then Alberta would be the third most populous. Now, in Edmonton, million and a half people, 
they're forecasting another million people to move to the area. Okay, another million. So you have to have housing for people. And then the other thing the city has done within Edmonton is they're not they're limiting the sprawl. They're not going outwards as much anymore. They've limited the footprint of the city and they're now densifying. For example, meaning, what does that mean? They're approving almost with rubber stamps of somebody if they go buy a, an inner city lot to do an infill on it. One of my clients just picked up an infill house for 300 and change. They're knocking down the house. They're building three side-by-side semis, townhomes, with suites, okay? So where there was one, he'll have six rental units. He bought it for three and change. He's putting 1.2 into it. He's into it for 1.5. He then has an appraisal on it for just under 1.8, okay? So he builds a couple hundred thousand dollars equity from the beginning, and that's going to rent for just under $12,000 a month. And if he wanted to, which he chose not to, he could have put three rental units above the detached garage in the back. So he actually could have had a nine plex where there was one property before. So those kind of opportunities and those numbers, though, think about that. He's into it for 1.5 million and he has six rental units. Okay. The one thing I want to ask you before we move on to the two questions, I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to ask quickly, but um, Alberta, heavy exposure to oil and gas, oil and gas, all time high right now. Uh, do you see a significant risk? Obviously, there's a little bit of a risk, but do you see a significant risk? And, and I'll give you an example. I have, a, I have a property in a gold mining town in Ontario and gold prices are great. So I'm, I'm good. I'm not too concerned, right? But how do we know gold prices in 10, 15 years will be as high as they are right now, right? So oil and gas, obviously a little bit different from gold, right? But how do you kind of address and mitigate that risk? Well, here, here a couple couple things. And um, number one is oil prices is not at an all-time high. I was in markets where it was pushing in the hun- almost in the couple hundred dollar range in some cases. So it is definitely elevated, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the world where there's going to be billions and billions of more people added over the next 20 years, you're going to need a safe and secure, affordable energy solution. Canadian energy, in my personal opinion, is one of the best opportunities that are out there. So that's number one is it it ain't going anywhere no time soon. If we just look around our office, probably 80% of the things in each of our offices has probably had some kind of Canadian energy, oil and gas, hydrocarbon, whatever you want to call it, has been used for the manufacturing or it's 100% part of it. Okay. So that's number one. It ain't going nowhere soon. Number two is Alberta is very quickly, they actually used this slowdown over the last five years to completely pivot and they're starting to move towards new technology. Now, I might get the stat wrong, but it's directionally correct. I think it's the third largest um, tech resource on on renewable energy is happening at the University of Alberta, which is in Edmonton. So a lot of companies are very quickly investing capital in third in the world sorry or third, third in the in, world for for oh, wow. for yeah. for resource centers now i could get the, if if uh, you know i should have probably had that there but i i remember something of that it shocked me that that the research that they're doing there now some of the in canada uh, solar, wind, all those kind of things. Some of the largest projects that you're seeing, hydrocarbon, uh, hydrogen, all those things, some of the largest projects you're seeing are being done in Alberta right, th- right now with a lot of that. So it's pivoting, but in my personal opinion, 
it still has a very good need for things like like let's in the world right now um we would be in a different position for inflation if canada provided what we had to the world we have food fuel fertilizer fresh water friendly people right we have and we have future tech we have what the world wants and now i'm going to get political for one second if we just had leadership in this country that would step up and say the the world we have goods and services that you need let's align together and let's help you with what you need um and i'm going to end that political comment there you can read in whatever you want <laughs> No, it, it's very true. I, I listen to the news and I, I read up on what shortages are and, and where and what's causing what. And I basically wonder the same thing. Sometimes I'm like, don't we have that? And like, why are we not like that we, much? We have some of the world's now, right? leading yeah. safest, <laughs> safest things that people want. Like, think about it from a business perspective. You have what the customers want, but you actually don't want to sell it to them. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. You'd be out of All business. Right. Well, right. For sure. So before I ask you that, actually, one more question. Um, you were originally from Saskatchewan. Is there any, like, what are your thoughts on the Saskatchewan market? Do you follow that? Do you think there's a lot of potential in that market as well? Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, lots of opportunity. Saskatchewan and Alberta are very similar. Um, Saskatoon and Edmonton are almost like twin twin cities in, in economics and stuff like that. Calgary is a little bit of an anomaly than the rest, but I think there's some really good opportunities in Saskatchewan. I have some, I have Quite a few clients out there. There's actually some really cool opportunities in the commercial space as well out there too. Um, buying a commercial property, you know, putting some businesses into it and and things like that. So there there are really good opportunities in my opinion. Well, here I'll give you awesome. an example. My par- so houses in small towns, Saskatchewan. Now I'm not advocating small towns at the moment. In some markets in Saskatchewan, the houses are selling for less than replacement value. So. Here's right. a real life example. My parents just sold their house in a small town, but growing, couple thousand people population. They just sold on an 8,000 square foot lot, a 3,000 square foot two story, beautiful home. They just sold it for $180,000. And I was talking to my builder contacts and they say, yeah, probably it cost $90,000 in lumber just to build that. Right. Like, just imagine a, a house like that. I know where I live on that large of a lot and that size of a house, I, that property is almost $2 million where I live. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very so, interesting. All right, all right. So, so, so I think this is a great episode. At this point in the podcast, we'd like to ask, I guess, two questions. The first is, uh, where do you see yourself five years from now with regards to your business, real estate? What are the overarching goals here? Well, I, I actually have a, so remember, so I'm going to tie this full circle to my original story. Remember the year 2000, turned 30, uh, had a crisis of life at that time, saw Oprah. And I had, I set a new goal. I just actually had one of those birthdays and it was at 2020. I had my 50th birthday. And I had one of those moments, another birthday that ended with zero, and I was looking myself in the mirror, and I had not accomplished enough, in my personal opinion. So I set a new goal at that time. And the goal I set at that time was to help 1 million, 1 million real estate investors with the tools and resources to help you buy one more property. Now, what does one more property mean to each of us? One more property is a totally different connotation for each person, but one more property if you buy the right property in the right area, can be life-changing. So my goal is to help inspire a million people 
with the tools and resources to buy one more property. So where I'm gonna, where I'm gonna be in five years, Hopefully, I'm going to be a 20% or 25% of that way to that goal, right? I guess I'd be 30% mm -hmm. of that goal, right? So I am uh, yeah. I have no idea how I'm going to do it. All I just know when I set that goal, it scared the crap out of me. and But at the same time, it scared the crap out of me. And the, and the hairs on the back of my neck also stood up. They knew that I was, in, I, I was on to something, and, and I'm going to do whatever I can to try to get there. The nuance is you said 1 million and in five years, 30%. So I think it's interesting to see that you're, you're, you're kind of projecting exponential growth, right? Okay. Like it's normal. Some people would go a hundred K a year, right? And your approach is much more logical. Well, as well my, my approach is actually, I'm going to do set the base myself and then I'm going to inspire other leaders to get uh, okay. involved in the mission mm -hmm. themselves so that there'll be an army of us all on the same mission together, go on the same path. Awesome. All right. Perfect. And I guess the second question is for a newer investor in today's market, uh, what's the main risk? What do you see them doing wrong? Any, any kind of feedback that you could give from your conversations with newer investors? Yeah. No. Okay. Now I could go many different directions here, but I'm going to give you some advice that I wish I had when I got started. Okay. Here's the advice I wish that I had when I got started. Um, the three pillars of real estate are what you buy, where you buy, and who you rent to. Okay, those are the three most important things in real estate. What you buy, where you buy, and who you rent to. The most important of those three, in my personal opinion, is who you rent to. Okay, I would have completely changed a lot of uh, my purchase decisions if I would have taken into consideration the tenant profile at the beginning. Most people if you're buying buy and hold rental properties, have no idea their tenant profile. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to match wrong tenant profile with wrong property in wrong area. Okay. And if you take the time to articulate and design your tenant profile first, take that tenant profile, match it up in the right area where they want to live in and match them up with the right house, you'll have a much better experience. And then the corollary I would share with people is, um, don't be afraid of buying new construction and buying something new. Quality over quantity will win the day. And this is coming from somebody who's transacted many hundreds of properties. And uh, I wish I would have bought more quality properties as opposed to quantity when I first got started. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think Mayu and I have, uh, have learned that lesson too. With these old houses, there's problems that come up all the time and it it erodes the cash flow that we that we saved uh, in our account. But um, this was a fantastic episode, Russell. Definitely learned a lot. Um, thank you for all you do for the real estate community. Um, I actually, You were actually one of the first speakers, if not the first speaker I ever saw talk about joint ventureships. It was in, I think it was Smart... The, the event that Gary Hibbert hosts with Smart Homes yep. or Smart. Yep. I think that that's it. Yeah. And uh, definitely took a lot away from that first presentation and that helped me get started in my path of raising capital too. Uh, if people want to connect with you, learn more from you, how could they do so? Well, the best way, the easiest way, if you don't mind, I'm going to put something on the screen here. Hopefully I hit the right button. So the simplest way that I would highly encourage is if you can spell my name correctly, you can find everything about me. Um, all my channels, my Facebook, my Instagram, my YouTubes, everything is all revolved around my name, even to the to the point of where my uh, my podcast is my name as well. So I don't know if that's the right method to go, but I'll tell you, if you can spell my name, you can find me, <laughs> right? So Branding that'd, be the, that'd be the simplest <laughs> one. However, it's Love a terrible it. business it. strategy as I can't sell it 
at the end. Like, how, how do you, you know, that's, I think that's called slavery or something, right? How do you sell your, your own name to somebody else? But uh, it, it's a way of a very unique propositioning. Yeah, yeah, love it. So uh, that's Russell Westcott and all yep. of the links will be down below in the show notes. Yep. Uh, until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all. Recording stopped. Perfect. Thanks, Russell. I know we're right at two and we both had to jump and I'm sure you asked something else as well, but I think it was a great episode. Really, really actionable advice and, and really valuable. Oh, awesome. Right. Thanks, guys. So, what did you think of today's episode? Wasn't that a fun conversation? You know, I just kind of had a wonderful, wonderful conversation with two, just two wonderful investors out of Ontario, just crushing it. They're doing a wonderful job, doing a wonderful job with their podcast. You know, when you get over 200,000 downloads of something, that's, you're, you're doing something right. So, I, I mentioned that on the, the episode. Austin and Mayu, you guys are crushing it. Keep it going. We need more of these kind of podcasts out in the marketplace to provide wonderful value and service. So what did you take away from this? Did you take away maybe looking at the market a little bit differently? Maybe the easy profits are now off the table and now you actually have to add value to the property. You actually have to work to do it. This isn't going this is going to weed out a lot of the the unsophisticated. It's going to weed out a lot of the unserious. It's going to weed out a lot of the people that are just not committed to their goals. Now, if you're listening to this this podcast, I know you're committed. Now, speaking about being committed, if you're interested in taking that next step, I mentioned this in the beginning, is right now the Raising Capital Academy, the doors are open. And by the time this drops, honest to goodness, it will probably only be about two more days and then they'll be closed and it'll be by application only, but the price point is changing, the, the pricing model is changing, an entire bonus package of over $7,573 is going away. This is the best offer I've made since I've created this program. So if you're serious and you want to take that next step, and if you're tired of struggling, if you're tired of just, you know, floundering around and just don't know what to do, this is the right step. So I look forward to seeing you on the inside of the Raising Capital Academy. And gang, with all that being said, remember, always, 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 in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.